Well, I'd like to begin today by talking about what I did this weekend. I went with Marin and Nicole to Las Vegas, and we went to the Sphere, and we saw U2. And I think I have a picture of it. Can you see? It's kind of hard to see, but... Yeah, it, yeah well, you might not know what you're seeing, but that is a, entirely a wall of LED screens. And then there's, the, there's Bono right down there in the front, and they're singing With or Without You. That's a song that they wrote. They're an Irish band. And uh, it was really amazing. It was really powerful. Uh, and it was a massive crowd. We were in the 200 level. There's ground level, 100 level. Then there's the private VIP section where LeBron James sat. And then Ed Sheeran was there. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, who cares? Some people are upset. We're in the 200, and then there's 300, 400, 500. It goes all the way up, and the screen follows all, all the way around you. And it was amazing. And the reason it was amazing is because you're sitting there, you're standing, you're singing uh, in this crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And there was a few moments where I felt like maybe this, maybe this is just a glimpse of what heaven might be like one day where they're, like U2 is attempting to lean into what it might be like for us when we gather together as a crowd in heaven and worship the risen Jesus in person. And uh, it was powerful. Uh, and like I said, I love the crowd. I love being in a busy place, surrounded by people, all singing the same songs, facing the same direction. But let me tell you something. Real community doesn't happen in a crowd. The church, us, you and me, from the very beginning, the scriptures tell us that we were designed to be created for community. And next week, I'm going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit uh, helps us to build community through supernatural, spirit-empowered community. Uh, but this week, I want to show you how community helps us. So we're in this new three-week series called Created for Community because we were created for community, not just for crowds like that or that what's up on the screen. And so we're going to take a look at what that looks like. What does it look like to really be a part of a community? What does it look like to be created for community, to live into how we were designed? Luke was a doctor, a doctor that can help people, uh, and a historian. And he wrote down some accounts about the early disciples, the first church. Just tell me, I'm going to reread what Rakshit read. Uh, just, just pay attention, see what you can see. Like, what you're looking for here is stuff about community. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, another way to phrase the word saved is those who were finding their way back to God. And again, for those of you that notice the verses about many signs and wonders, the line about prayer, the line about praising God, these are the supernatural aspects. And these are so important uh, that, that we see the supernatural fingerprints of the Holy Spirit at work in the first church. Uh, they're so important that they're all over this community. 
I'm going to be taking an entire week to uh, talk about it. I'm going to talk about it next Sunday. But for this week, I want to focus on the nature of community and how they functioned as a community. And just keep in mind, it was the Holy Spirit who characterized and built and orchestrated this early church. And when, as we read in these verses, we see that the early church assembled. They assembled as a crowd. There was a bunch of them. It says they continued to meet in the temple courts. And this was done during the week, and it was done on the weekends. It would be the equivalent of us going to a Sunday morning service. We don't, we don't go to the temple. We go to Pack City or we go wherever. And if we look a little closer, we see that those first Christ followers lived so much of their lives in a way that functioned outside of the Sunday service. It says they broke bread with each other, and they ate in each other's homes. They may have assembled as a crowd, but they shared life in a community. Look, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit gives a one-two knockout punch. One-two. What are the two punches that he gives here? The early church combined the apostles' teachings which centered on the resurrected Jesus, along with fellowship, teachings plus fellowship. It says that they devoted themselves. This is an important word. They devoted themselves, meaning that the early church was gripped by the truth of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to the truth that the, uh, that the apostles were communicating to them, the truth that Jesus had lived among them that he had died and that he rose again. The truth gripped them, and they gripped the truth. This means that they were not gripped, not devoted to other ways of living. So this early church, this community, full of the Holy Spirit, was unlike so many contemporary Christians of our day. Why? Because they didn't think that they had a better idea than God on how to live life. They thought that God had the best idea for their life. For instance, when we read God's word, God's word says, don't go into debt. It's like having a millstone around your neck. Don't, going, into going into debt is unwise. It's a bad thing. And we look at that and we shrug and we say, eh, it's not a big deal. Nah, he doesn't have it right. Or when we read God's word and it says that harboring a grudge against another person will destroy you. It'll destroy you from the inside out. We say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I got a better idea than God. I think I can hold on to this grudge because I deserve to hold on to this grudge. I have a right to be bitter. You don't know what they did to me. And I'm not going to forgive this person. And even though they hurt me and they hurt these other people, I know better than God. When we read God's word and it says that we become like the people with whom we form our deepest and most personal commitments. And we say, well, it really doesn't matter who I connect myself to. It doesn't matter if I connect to myself, myself to someone deeply or closely, or I connect, to myself, I connect myself to someone who is not a Christian in, in my romantic relationships, in my marriage, or people that I do business with. It really doesn't matter. It won't affect my faith. You see, the early church didn't see themselves as individuals 
who were picking and choosing the kinds of things that they wanted to believe up from God's word, from the apostles' teaching. They weren't picking the things that they liked and then pushing aside the things that they didn't like. They surrendered themselves and their minds and their hearts to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because they believe it came from God. They said, God gave us this. We're going to do it. And so they combined the apostles' teaching with something called fellowship. Fellowship. When you think of fellowship, what do you think of? You probably think of, um, if you're a very evangelical Christian, you think of your fellowship hall. Uh, if you are a movie buff, you think of the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. And fellowship is more than that. Fellowship comes from an old Greek word, koinonia. Can everyone say koinonia? koinonia. Thanks, Bo. And um, koinonia comes from another word, an old Greek word called koinos, which means to have things in common and to share. Koinos means to share. Fellowship in the early church was not just about having a piece of pie and a cup of coffee in the fellowship hall. It had to do with sharing your lives together. Fellowship, according to the scriptures, according to what we just read in Acts, involves sharing. Here's what we read. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They met together in the temple and then they met for smaller meetings from house to house. We follow this pattern too. We meet on Sundays and then we have groups. We have groups that meet throughout the week. Um, right now we have one group that meets throughout the week. And here's why this is important. You need to hear this. This is not about group. This is about the fellowship piece. You are not engaged in Christian fellowship unless you share. The key piece is the sharing. The sharing, the koinos, the sharing. And this was, this was descriptive of what the early church was like. There was sharing that they did with one another. And sharing is more than just common beliefs, common practices, shared values. We vote the same way or we worship the same way. It's more than just what we believe or our values. It's more than common interests. It's more than the common interests you hold in terms of the films you watch, the television shows you enjoy, the kinds of live performances you like to go to. It's more than the sports we play. It's more than that. You share more than that. Fellowship is one Christian sharing their secrets with another Christian. Fellowship is sharing problems with another Christian. It's sharing childcare. It's sharing food. It's sharing financial resources. It's sharing our spiritual gifts that the way we have been designed by God, did you know that you are unique and there's nobody like you? God has given you special gifts, spiritual gifts, that are meant to be shared with everybody else. You aren't meant to just have those for yourself. They're meant to be enjoyed. And the people in this room can enjoy and come to know God more closely as a result of being connected to the gifts that you've been given. Listen, you cannot successfully transform your life when you're sitting in a crowd 
whether it's a smaller crowd or you go to another church and it's like thousands of people, you cannot, sex, sex, you cannot successfully transform your life in a crowd. We can do some things, but we can't share life together. You can't deeply get to know each other and other Christians, and you can't deeply, they can't deeply know you or your families or your heartache or your issues unless you're willing to share. Now, I'm not here to kind of say something about groups as much as I am saying this is the posture that we have. There is a sharing that we bring, and it's a sharing that exemplifies the early church. Now, once upon a time I was a child, and I grew up in a church uh, that gathered as a crowd. And it gathered traditionally on Sundays and Wednesdays. Sundays uh, was church services, and Wednesdays was youth group. Anyone else have this model, the Sunday-Wednesday thing? Yeah, and Wednesdays was youth group, and you would go there with the other youth and group. And on Sundays, it was singing followed by a person that would talk for a while. And when I was growing up, this early church, we met in, uh, and sat in something called pews. Did anyone grow up with pews? And they were made of wood. They were solid, and they weren't padded, and they were hard, and they kept me awake uh, all the time because they were built uh, not for comfort. They were built to hold my attention. And... Uh, and then when that same church, it grew, it went from like, you know, 500 people to, I don't know, 3,000 people. Uh, and uh, so he built this bigger building. And then we got those uh, movie th theater style seats. You know the ones with the things and the thing and the thing? And it was so comfortable and I loved it. And I, um, but then I moved away. And I, here's the thing. I had some really powerful moments in those crowds on Sundays, in the pews, in the comfortable chairs. But it wasn't that I just, what I remembered, the things that happened in the crowd aren't the things I remember the most about those, that church. The greatest moments of impact were those smaller times when we gathered. Not as a crowd, but when we came together in smaller communities where we would actually share with one another. And what I can tell you is that those relationships, when I was a young person, those relationships were qualitatively different because they weren't like going to a bar. They weren't like going to some social mixer at meetup, meetup.com or whatever they have. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like going with your friends to like some sporting event in high school. It was different because we were sharing our life in connection to our devotion to Jesus. These relationships were different because they centered on the apostles' teaching, the teachings of Jesus. That's what made it different. When I got a little bit older, I remember I was dating my girlfriend at the time, and now we're married. And, uh, but we were dating, and she's like, we're going to church. And, uh, you know, that's how she talks. And uh, so, so we, she goes, we're going to this church. It's called Joshua House. It's trendy. The lights are real low, and they have candles. And we're like, I'm in. Wherever you want to go, babe, with candles. And so we're, we show up, and it was awesome. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Everyone's really cool. Everyone has really cool pants. You know, when you go to church, like, and they have, like, really cool pants. Like, there's churches that don't have cool pants. And there's churches that have cool pants. This was a cool pant church, okay? And uh, there's people were worshiping, and the 
message was good, but this was the Sunday night service. You know, it's the young adults they used to call. This is like 18 to 30. We're like, we'll go to that one. And then, like, and we're like, we got to figure out why this church is so big. And so we go in the morning, and um, we were blown away. We were blown away. I thought we had the substitute teacher. You know when you go to visit a church and you usually end up getting the substitute teacher and you're like, oh man, I wanted the real person. But I thought just based on looks alone, I've never told him this, based on looks alone, I thought we had the sub. But we didn't. And this guy proceeded to destroy us. Uh, That he was so in touch with what God was doing in his preparation in the room. I... I'd never seen someone do that. And, and, and there was like 8,500 people. Uh, so we were, th- that particular service was maybe like 3,000. So they ran like three or four services at 3,000 or whatever. So it was an even bigger crowd. We stumbled into it. And we're like, God is here. We loved it. We loved the worship. We loved the teaching. We loved the excitement of being in a room of thousands of people. And there's parts of that I still miss today. There's something about being in that. It, you know, being at the U2 show reminded me of that, that there's something amazing when the saints uh, come together and the Spirit of God comes into their worship. I, I, I love that. I get pictures of that here uh, with our crowd that, like, we're small but mighty. We're the best kept secret in West LA. It's so secret, our regulars don't even come. <laughs> Not you, of course, you're here. Uh, but, you know, the Spirit of God still, uh, is still faithful to us, and he comes into our time here. But I think about that time at Vineyard Columbus and the times I experienced uh, some powerful things in the crowd, but the more important things I experienced in the smaller community. Uh, In particular, we had a really good like 10 or 15 year run on community groups that formed us from like very young people into less bad people. Like being around those people shaped us into who we are today. Now, if you don't think much of us, I would ask you to not make any faces. But I feel, and the friends that we do have feel that there was something about being formed in those communities. We, we prayed for each other. We cared for each other. We stood in for each other. When, and we didn't wait till it was too late. Does that make sense? If you're going to look for community, you go, well, I'll, I'll reach out when I need it. Uh, that'll be too late. Community is formed now, and then when things happen, which they will, community is there for you. These most impactful times, uh, we were there for each other. We opened the scriptures together. I remember, um, I remember my friend's, our friend's mom passed away from cancer. And the hard part about this is the mom was not in a great relationship with the kids, Kind of estranged, but still kind of around. There was, never, there was never a defined estrangement. You know what I mean? Where it's just kind of like you're at a distance. There was like, it sucked because she didn't lead on that she had cancer. And then like, she, she finally said, I got to get my parents, I, I got to get my kids involved because I'm not going to make it. And so then like a month later, she was dead. And so there wasn't the kind of closure that our friend that she needed to have with her mom and the other kids, it was, it was painful in the moment. And we had been in groups with her. And so we sat with her. And we cried with her. We tried to cheer her up. We went to the funeral and sat in that room. You know the room after the room where you have the sandwiches at someone's house and everyone's like, this sucks. We sat in those rooms. 
We did that. We supported her, not just in that moment, but in the weeks and months ahead. And it wasn't just Nikki and me. It was the group came around her. What do you need? How can we help? How are you feeling? What's God doing? We supported her. And we also invited the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing to her life, to bring healing to that relationship. God, help her to have a new perspective about what's happened in her life. And you know what? God showed up. God healed her. And she walks. She's married. She has a kid. And we still see her all the time when we're in town. Nicole saw her a month ago. I, uh, my friends, uh, another one of our friends, his parent was rightfully thrown in jail. You know, you ever hear of someone and you're like, oh, they've been arrested and they were prosecuted and they were found guilty, but maybe, you know, they didn't do the thing, didn't, didn't do, did the crime, guy do the time. Well, this guy did it, for sure. And it was a, it was a surprise because the dad never had any history in this. And it wasn't violent. It was more on the fraudulent theft side. And we were able to sit with him. And he's like, I can't believe my dad did this. And he's going to go away. And we were able to process what God was doing in his life. And we got to pray for the dad who was going through something that he didn't even even know we were praying for. And one of the other things that we got to process with him is he, he wanted to forgive his dad. And he wanted to let his dad know that he forgave him. And we were able to sit with him and say, well, what if your dad doesn't seek forgiveness? How do you forgive? How do you allow God to help you forgive someone, even though they might not be seeking forgiveness from you? Does that make sense? How do you forgive when it's a one-way street? And that's necessary. And he did. God met him. He was able to forgive. And he was able to repair some of his relationship with his father. Um, You're... Before Marin was born, Nicole and I experienced a miscarriage. Who do we call? Did we run into, did we run into Vineyard Columbus and sit in the room of 3,000 people? No, we called the people we had shared our life with, the people we had opened up to, and they had opened up to us. And they, that through that experience, the Holy Spirit brought healing from a miscarriage, which was painful. You want to have kids? You try to have kids? Doesn't go right? That's hard. But it was less hard because the community came around us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Over the years, when we choose fellowship, when we choose to open up to one another, we can laugh with each other, we can cry with each other. And to this day, I got to tell you, some of the stories we just, I just told you, we're still very close to many of them today. I don't know if you know this, but many of them, Uh, are donors to this church. Yes, they go to their own churches and they tithe 10% of their income there, but they also donate to this church on top of that. Did you know that 25% of all gifts that come into this church on a monthly basis come from that community that I mentioned? People that just believe that Jesus did something between us and them for a period of time. And that experience of community, of koinos, of of koinonia, of sharing, it transformed us. And we started to believe that we could be something, that we could do something. And it all centered around fellowship and sharing our life around 
the apostles' teaching. I have always loved the crowd at church. I actually love going to new churches that are bigger, like on the bigger side, like over a thousand people in the room. And I love like, or I even like going to small churches and being a first time visitor because I like to see what's going to happen to me. I just walk in all awkward. I'm like, where's the welcome team? Are they going to hit me up? <laughs> and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I love it. I love getting lost in that crowd. Maybe that's just because I grew up going to large churches. Love the crowd. But having a group of friends, a small group of Jesus-following friends, where we could all connect with one another and learn to love and follow Jesus together, that's amazing. Let me be more direct. When it comes to growing as a follower of Jesus, community is better than the crowd. Community is better than the crowd. And I, want to, I just want to be abundantly clear. There are ways to develop community in your life that work within the rhythms of your life. And you should look for those. But if you think this, and then I say amen, and you go out there, if you think that's enough, if you think that captures koinos, the sharing together, you're missing it. Because there's more. There's more for us. And that can happen in a community group that meets during the week, but it can happen in other ways. So how you develop that actually matters. What do you remember from the picture that I showed you of the crowd? Frogs. Frogs. It's good. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't actually have to answer. It's more rhetorical. <laughs> That's a. I like those answers. You can double down if you want, but I need to keep. <laughs> Uh, if you remember, see, this is why I didn't want you to answer. If you remember anything at all, it was probably superficial. You know, you remember the frogs and whatever you said. It's probably superficial. Now I want you to take a look at this picture. What do you see? Patrick, say frogs. I see rock shit. I see rock shit that has overcome a lot to be here and continues to press in to what God has for his life. I see uh, two couples that I personally married. I mean, meaning I did the ceremony. I'm not in a... It's not one of those polygamous things. Uh, I mean, I, I was there with Eric and Lupita at the high points and the low points of wedding day. I was there and we talked about things in their premarital counseling uh, that were hard and easy and in between. And I, and I got to share. And we c- came out of that experience in a deeper way. And I, and I love them for it. I think about uh, Eric and Ingrid, who uh, also I had, he has his, he has, he's rocking out. Uh, and, uh, and everything that they've, uh, I know their pains. I know their heartache. And they know mine. I know so many things about Nikki that I don't even want to say. <laughs> and, uh, and look at Jess back there. Jess, I just, you know, I, I've, you know, you and I have walked and seen a lot together. And it's amazing. And what, what my whole point is this. Um, you can get a lot more out of this than you can out of just looking at a crowd. And you know how I know all these things about these people? Because I've done community with them. I've shared life with them. And these are just the ones that were available for the picture. 
right? These are just, this is just a fraction of them. I know some of you are like, I should have been in the picture. Uh, <laughs> I'm tough. You know, but, but, but I know them because I've done life with them. They've shared with me. And they're vulnerable with me. And I was vulnerable with them. So here's the challenge I have for you. And here's the challenge that we're moving towards over the next three weeks. It's great to gather as a crowd. It's better to gather as community. And what I'm after more is the vision of community, not so much the details of what it could be. And what's best for this room and this group is to get inspired to figure out how to build it. Like you actually don't need Chris to organize it for you. That there's something in you. You have the same spirit in you that I have in me. And God wants to do something uh, and, uh, to, to help you form deep, healthy, sharing relationships. Why? Because circles are better than rows. And the way we grow as people is, is when we jump into community and we can know others and they can know us and then we see something amazing happen. We sharpen each other. We grow. And our outside begins to really match what we believe inside. You were created for community. Find community. Don't just find the crowd and it will change your life.